So tonight is the first in a series of six talks on the six paramitas. The six paramitas in, in Mahayana Buddhism, these are six qualities attributed to the Buddha and the Bodhisattva. They're the so-called perfections of the Buddha. They are generosity, discipline, patience, enthusiasm, concentration, and insight. And so those will be my topics, you know, generosity this week and then for the next five weeks. Um, and I'll just say, I think there's this tendency in, um, in the Western world to kind of look at this as, well, these are rules, we have to follow these rules, and I'm not a good person if I'm not following these rules, you know, or, you know, these are high ideals, and I'm falling short of the high ideals. Um, think it, I think a more Buddhist way to look at them is, these are mirrors. They're mirrors that allow us to glimpse our higher self or our most noble self. And they're simply there so we can look in them and be reminded of how to move toward our higher self. You know, we're all 100% lovable exactly as we are. And we all have a lot of work to do, you know, and both of those are true. So, generosity. I'm actually going to begin, as I sometimes do, by reading from the Christian New Testament. This is from a a famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's this sort of concentrated three-chapter collection of all these, these gems that Jesus said. Now, the the traditionalists, very traditional Christians would say that Jesus went up on the mountain and he just, you know, said all this all at once, you know. Modern biblical scholars feel it's more like a, a greatest hits collection of, of Jesus' sayings can, you know, put in one place. But at any rate, this is from chapter 6. Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may, your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And so certainly I, I like the idea that generosity should be accompanied by a kind of humility. Um, and certainly it's true, like, you know, the person who is dramatically claiming, you know, look how generous I'm being, you know, something about that. That's a very loud way to um, compromise the en- energy of generosity. Um, but I think what's more common in this society is that there are quiet ways to compromise the energy of generosity. You know, and some of those quiet ways, you know, various kinds of codependent patterns or people-pleasing patterns, you know, say, I'm giving, but I'm not giving because I'm generous. I'm giving because I want approval. Or I'm giving because I want to be liked. Or, um, you know, giving because I want to be seen as a good person. Or, you know, maybe I'm someone who 
I'm not honest about my own needs or I'm not willing to fess up about my own needs. So I'm giving to others, hoping you'll magically mind read and meet my needs without my having to ask for it, you know, or, um, or I have a harsh inner critic that makes me feel horrible and I'm, I'm just desperate to have an opportunity to give so that I have some evidence I can bring back to my inner critic, you know, um, and varying of these, um, I think I would say in my life, and it may be true in yours also, that most of the time when I give, it mostly feels like it's coming from generosity. But if I'm really honest with myself, often beneath the generous and nobleness, there's a little bit of attachment to one of these dysfunctional patterns also, you know? And so it's just, I think it's just wonderful for us always to be in inquiry around our generosity, you know, at any point, why am I giving? And is this purely coming from 100% generosity or is it like 95% generosity and a little bit of, you know, something else I'm holding on to, looking for credit or something like that, you know? So I'll say also that we live in a capitalist society and that, that creates some distortions around the idea of generosity. And one of the bigger distortions, and, and I, I think it's more typical, say, of conventional people, not necessarily people who come to a sangha, but, but when people hear generosity, they think of money or things of material value, that that's what generosity primarily means. Um, and so I think it's just so important for us to acknowledge all the profound ways that we live out generosity that has nothing to do with, with things of monetary value. Um, we can be generous with our time and, and attention, you know. For example, to listen to someone is a very generous act, you know, especially to listen deeply, non-judgmentally, undefensively is very generous, you know, to give someone the space to tell their story or to share their perspective or to, or to process or to vent, you know, all of that is incredibly generous. Um, to listen to somebody else's perspective when it's not my own expect perspective, you know, even if it's something I disagree with a little bit, you know, it can be incredibly generous just to hear that out fully, to listen to that fully. Um, it can be very generous to receive feedback graciously, you know, especially feedback that I might not be so fond about hearing, you know, because often it is true. One of those things about life, the feedback that I most don't want to hear is often the feedback that I most need to hear, you know. Very funny thing about feedback. Um, to forgive somebody is very generous. You know, to give somebody the benefit of the doubt is very generous. To be willing to see the good in someone, to see somebody in their best light, you know, to, to and especially to behave in, toward them in such a way that, as it were, invites the best of them out of them. That's incredibly generous. Um, a couple times in life, I've had the privilege of being in the presence of wonderfully magnanimous souls who just by by the way they are, just by their the energy they send out, they they 
invite the, the, the best out of everyone around them, you know? And it just feels so wonderful, so ennobling to be in their presence, you know? And so that's just, that, that's certainly one of my high ideals to, to be able to live like that at some point. There are lots of ways that being generous that involve sharing vulnerability. Um, you know, certainly any friendship or any romantic relationship grows deeper by the vulnerable risks that one or the other person is taking, you know, of, you know, let me, let me take the risk of opening this deeper conversation, this sort of thing. And there's something very generous in taking these risks. Um, you know, the person saying a romance, the per- the first person to say, I love you when, you know, both people are thinking it, but both are afraid to say it, you know, that kind of thing. And with, with vulnerable connections and with emotional connections, I'll also share, there's a kind of deeper distortion that comes from, from capitalism. And this is a little harder to explain. Money is a zero-sum game in the sense that when I give somebody $20, I have $20 less, they have $20 more. Like there's always this, you know, every gain has a concomitant loss, and that's just the nature of money. Um, and, you know, sometimes money is called the science of scarcity, you know. Whereas grace, it doesn't follow that same logic. Grace follows the logic of abundance. And healing and love, all these things, follow, follow the logic of grace, you know. Healers always talk about when they when the energetic healers talk about when they give a healing, they get a healing, you know, because they're, you know, they're working on the client and the healing energy is passing through them. So when they're done, their client has received healing energy, but they also have received healing energy, you know? And so it's, it's this, you know, this logic of giving makes both of them richer, you know, in a way. And much in the same way, there's so much about love when people, are genuinely sharing love with each other, there's just more, you know, everyone is filled up by that. You know, it's not, it, you know, it's not like the love I give depletes me and only fills up the other person, you know. And I think people sometimes get into these more codependent things where they, they feel like, you know, they're giving, but they're giving from a more codependent place. And then it feels like when I love them, I'm depleting myself, you know. And they, they're falling into this illusion that love is a zero-sum game. And it's not, you know. And it's a, it's a very funny thing also. It kind of explodes the... Um, a lot of the, the, the zero-sum thinking is that there's an incredible amount of generosity in being a good receiver, you know? And think about it, how well do you receive? How well do you receive anything? And do you receive generously, you know? How well do you receive compliments, for example? You know, that's, that's difficult. Can you really receive a compliment in a way that is gracious, in a way that, 
that, you know, truly ennobles you and the other person, you know? That's hard to do. Another story that kind of explodes the the logic of, of giving a little bit, this is from the Zen tradition, a Zen story. The Zen master Saisetsu of Ingaku and Kamakura once felt the need for larger quarters since those in which he was teaching were overcrowded. Umeza Saibe, a merchant of Edo, decided to donate 500 pieces of gold called Rio toward the construction of a more commodious school. He brought this money to the teacher. All right, I'll take it, the Zen master said. The merchant handed over the sack of gold, but he was dissatisfied with his attitude. One might live a whole year on three Rio, and the merchant had not been even thanked for 500. In that sack is 500 Rio, hinted the merchant. You told me that before, said the Zen master. Even if I am a wealthy merchant, 500 Rio is a lot of money, said the, the merchant. Do you want me to thank you for it, asked the Zen master. You ought to, said the merchant. Why should I, inquired the Zen master. The giver should be thankful. And so it's, as all Zen stories, there's a bit of a shocking quality to it. Um, it it sounds na- you know it sounds naively like the Zen master is being unappreciative. Um, but there's a deeper teaching there, you know. Life is impermanent. And, you know, when that merchant dies, he won't be able to take his 500 Rio with him, you know. Will he, can he attend to his, his own development, you know. So it's a, it's a very challenging, as a, you know, always with the Zen stories, they're very challenging. One more thing I'm going to read, and this is, this is a famous passage going back to the Christian gospel. This is a famous passage from, from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile Go within the extra mile. Give to to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And of course that passage is where we get the cliches, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Um, that whole thing about go the extra mile, that, that needs a little more explanation. In, the, in Jesus' time, in, in first century Palestine, the first, that whole region was occupied by the Roman military. And so it was typical, say a commander said to a centurion, you know, these supplies here, these need to be carried to the fort a mile away, something like that. It was just understood that what the centurion was going to do is he'd grab a few of the locals and say, you have to help me right now. Doesn't matter what the locals were in the middle of or anything like that. He he had he had the right just to interrupt them and say, you need to help me right now. And it was well understood in that time, if anyone said no to a Roman centurion, he could just kill you on the spot and there'd be no consequences for him. I mean, he the Roman centurion was a Roman citizen. These locals, they were not Roman citizens. 
and it was just that like if he he killed anyone no one would even question it you know and so that was what you were up against this person who was basically giving you no choice like you have to do this right now and if you don't i'll kill you you know that's what it is to be pressed in service for a mile and so when we see hear these together the person who slaps you on the cheek the person who wants to take your shirt the person who forces you on pain of death to walk a mile. These are confronting situations. These are triggering situations, you know. And I think the the implicit message beneath this is, can we be generous even when we're triggered? Can we be generous even when we're offended, you know? And that that's a hard thing to do. You know, and it's it's not about giving oneself away. It's not about at all, you know, denying, you know, because I, I think, you know, people could take this as, well, my needs don't matter or I don't matter, so I'll just give in. It's not about a giving in. It It's about really standing fully in one's power and also letting go, you know, which is which is a current incredibly hard thing to do. Um but ultimately, all these, these paramitas are about moving to the place of selflessness, which is, which is what the, the bodhisattva ideal is all about. Um, selflessness is one of these ideas that sounds so beautiful in the abstract until you realize everything it actually means, you know. So, at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. I'll first share it with the Zoomies. So at the top I have the two quotes from the Bible. I have the Zen story. A line from the prayer of Saint the so-called prayer of Saint Francis. For it is in giving that we receive. And there's actually something profoundly true about that. Um, St. Ignatius of Loyola was the one who, who said to give and not to count the cost. Another, another very deep one. Robert Louis Stevenson said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Gilil Gibran said, Generosity is giving more than you can, and pride is taking less than you need. In, Richard Wilhelm said, In times of prosperity, it is important above all to possess enough greatness of soul to bear with imperfect people. For in the hands of a great master, no material is unproductive. He can find use for everything. But this generosity is by no means laxity or weakness. Winston Churchill said pithily, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Ramana Maharshi, who really was an astonishing soul, said, uh, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Eleanor Roosevelt said, the giving of love is an education in itself. Mother Teresa said, it's not how much we give, but how much love we put into giving. 
Albert Camus says, real generosity toward the future lies in giving all to the present. Thich Nhat Hanh said, it takes time to practice generosity, but being generous is the best use of our time. Maya Angelou said, when we cheerfully, when we give cheerfully and accept gratefully, everyone is blessed. Anne Frank said, no one has ever come, become poor by giving. You know, and, and especially with emotional kinds of generosity, it's all about giving from a place of abundance, you know. Um, Colin Powell said, giving back involves a certain amount of giving up. Rachel Naomi Remen says, when you listen generously to people, they can hear the truth in themselves, often for the first time. The Zen teacher Bernie Glassman said, when we don't ask, we don't let others give. When we fear rejection, we don't let generosity arise. A long quote from David White. Strangely, every person lives out their destiny no matter what they do, according to the way they shape the conversation. But that destiny may be lived out on a level of consummation or complete frustration through the experience of homecoming or a distant exile or more like some gradation along the spectrum that lies between. It is still our destiny, our life, but the sense of satisfaction involved and the possibility of fulfilling its, its promise may depend on a brave participation, a willingness to hazard ourselves in a difficult world, a certain form of wild generosity with our gifts, a familiarity with our own depth, our own discovered breath, and a, as always, a long and practiced and robust vulnerability equal to what any future may offer. There's just something so profoundly generous in that, the way that, that especially the way that closes. John O'Donohue said, May I live this day compassionate of heart, clear in word, gracious in awareness, courageous in thought, and generous in love. Brene Brown says, Until we, give, until we can receive with an open heart, we're never really giving with an open heart. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we unknowingly, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. And Brian McGill says, giving is the master key to success in all applications of human life.